sham referendums in occupied regions of Ukraine and more Russian troops are drafted into battle. But the protests are increasing across the country. My guest this week had his own unique protest. Boris Bandaryov, a Foreign Service veteran, resigned in shame at the war in Ukraine, the only Russian government official to do so in public. What are the chances of Putin surviving the conflict he started? He put himself in a situation where he has no good exit. And I think this blackmail and threats is the only instrument he may use to try to get himself out of it. As the war goes on, how real is the nuclear threat? And why do Russian officials believe the West wouldn't retaliate against a nuclear strike from Moscow? Boris Bandaryov, welcome to Conflict Zone. Hello, Tim. Before we talk about your personal story, I'd like to deal with some of the latest events going on in the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, let's start with the so-called referendums that are taking place in four Ukrainian regions occupied by Russian troops, asking people if they want to join Russia itself. Um, since no one is going to believe the result, why bother with this? Um, I think it's only for like domestic consumption to convince people within Russia that it is all right and uh, those people in these uh, new created republics are really wishing to join Mother Russia. And so it, 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 it's, it is giving President Putin and his government a good uh, you know, reason to, to continue, to continue the war in order to defend the people of Donbass, of the Parisia, of Kherson, uh, of the uh, region and so on. So it's purely for uh, the domestic, uh, domestic population. And you think the domestic population is that gullible that they're going to believe it? They know by now that Russia doesn't hold elections unless it fixes them in advance, does it? Well, you know, the uh, Russian population, which is the main problem, is, has been so far very indifferent to what is going on outside, so to speak. So it's only these days some of them are starting to understand that the war is much closer than it uh, was, than they thought it was. And so, yeah, I think the, uh, the government is still believing that it, they can sell any, anything, any stupid things to the, the people, even now. We've seen in the last few days utter chaos over the partial mobilization which Putin ordered. The Kremlin says it's drafting 300,000 troops to Ukraine, other reports say around a million. How much difference do you think these extra troops will make? Because the failures so far haven't been caused by troop shortages, have they? They've been caused by low morale, poor logistics, weapons that haven't worked, poor command structures. That's been the problem, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I guess so. And uh, uh, I believe that these new numbers, even if they come all at once to the front line, they will not change the course of war. They will can only make it more slow for Russia to, to, to lose the war. Because the Russian army has been, um, uh, has been so far very incompetent in terms of strategy, in terms of military planning, in, in terms of implementing of military operations and so, so, so on. So for now, the main um, uh, superiority, if I may say, say so, uh, of the Russian army uh, uh, in comparison with the Ukrainian uh, was the, the numbers, the numbers. So I think they can only uh, fight with numbers.
One of your most powerful criticisms of the Russian government that you served is that it's part of a system that deceives itself. Is that the military's problem as well? It's been deceiving itself about its capabilities, about its weapons, the state of its preparedness, this kind of thing? Yeah, sure, sure. This, this picture is absolutely common for all branches of Russian government. It is all built on these uh, lies and self-comforting uh, self, self uh, reports and so on. So we, we can see it by the decision of Putin to invade Ukraine in the first place. It's ob obviously that he miscalculated his own strength and the ability of Ukrainian army and the reaction of the West. It was all a great miscalculation based on uh, misinformation he received from uh, from Minister of Foreign Affairs, from Intelligence Service, from Minister of Defense, and so on. But do Russian officials even know where the truth really lies anymore? Well, it's hard to say that, because I think on the very low level, people who work really in the field, so to speak, they know the truth. But while the truth is being reported from down to up, it is uh, distorted in many ways. So it's no surprise that the uh, decision makers on the upper end of the chain, they have the, the information which is, not which is not reflecting reality in full. Over the 20 years that you worked in the foreign ministry, you said the level of lies and unprofessionalism was increasing all the time. Is that what was demanded by the bosses? Just tell the Kremlin what they want to hear. That's it. Yes, yes, yes. Because if, if you report to, to Moscow the, the real situation, and the real situation is not always favorable to us, they may, may think that you, you don't work uh, well enough and it will make your career prospects less uh, radiant than you could expect. So everybody wants to please Moscow to show that they're working very hard, and then you can count on some career promotions and all. So that's that's it. It's purely career-oriented. You, you said in May that you had recently seen misleading information cabled to Moscow because that's what they wanted to hear. What was that information? Um, mostly it was that the Russia, Russian interest or Russian positions regarding the world uh, is very widely shared by many countries, that Russia is not isolated, that the Western accusations are false and everybody understands that they are false, for instance. It also goes to the uh, chemical uh, scandals about the Skripal's poisoning or Navalny poisoning, for, for instance, and some other things. So um, it is, uh, you know, this uh, reporting it is a very sophisticated thing when you, when you have to report truth, but you have to disguise it so nobody understands that it is an unpleasant truth. Yeah, it's a kind of art, you see, but this is a very, very, very bad kind of art. You're, you're very scathing about the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. Did you expect better from him? Um, you, you say he symptomized the degradation of the system. Um, well, well, he 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 has done a lot of evolution from the very uh, prominent and uh, hopeful minister to what we we are seeing now. He's uh, just uh, another symbol of this degradation of this uh, system, which is now uh, denying the reality. 
So I, I don't expect anything from him and anything from the government he represents. And I think that it will, we will, we will all see very soon the collapse of the system. Really? Collapse? Yeah, based, based, so. based, based, based on what? All the lies that they've told? They suddenly realize that nothing is true, that everything's going wrong, and yeah, there's nothing yeah. they, and it's too late to do anything about it? Is that, is that the scenario that you foresee? I foresee that it is all, uh, of course, depends on the war and its outcome. But I don't see how Russia can prevail and ha can achieve a real victory on this. This can be achieved only if the Western countries stop supplying and supporting Ukraine at all, and if the West surrenders to Putin, well, so to speak. That's the only way Putin can prevail. In all other scenarios, he will have to retreat. He will have to back, back down, and then it will be a very, very hard blow to his regime. In the run-up to the invasion, when Russian diplomats all over the world were ridiculing the idea of war, did you know that Putin was going to invade? The U.S. knew about it last autumn and said so. Did, did you know? Did people in your embassy know this was going to happen? No. Well, it was... The, the, the information of the uh, decision on invasion was not, of course, disclosed to almost anyone. So it was only personal uh, guessing whether he will decide to invade or not. I personally didn't believe because I would foresee all these consequences that this invasion would uh, would uh, would have. And I, I was pretty sure that Moscow also has this knowledge, had this understanding, but evidently they, they didn't. Evidently they miscalculated everything, as I said. So Moscow lied to its own embassies as well as to everyone else? Uh, well, yeah, they, 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 I wouldn't say they, they lie. They just don't tell anything uh, that they don't want to, to tell. And they, the embassy are just an auxiliary thing for them. You said what disturbed you most in the uh, Russian embassy was the casual way some of your fellow diplomats talked about nuclear strikes against the West, even though they worked in arms control. Did they have no idea how these nuclear strikes that they were talking about might lead to World War III or the consequences of that? Um, you know, this very dangerous thing is that those people who, uh, who are boasting about this possibility to, uh, to make nuclear strikes against the West, against the United States in the first place, those people are sure that there will be no retaliation, that the West will just swallow it and just bend their knees and let's say, let's, okay, okay, we're scared, we're scared. Okay, let's, let's make peace negotiations. They really you know, believe that. What, what makes them believe that? I think it's a very old and common uh, prejudice regarding the Westerners in Russia, that the Western people are very weak and very pampered because they are very used to comfortable life, you know, and that they are not ready uh, to sacrifice it like for the war, because every war makes, makes, people, makes uh, people's life uneasy and difficult. And we Russians, we are uh, known to all the world that we can suffer for as long as it takes. Well, it's another prejudice, of course, but uh, people may share it. And the people who may take decisions, they also may share this, this view. 
At one point, you asked your former colleagues if they'd be happy for their children to live in radioactive ruins, and they simply replied, this is about values, traditional Russian values as opposed to those of the decadent West. So in their minds, it's okay to blow up the West if the West doesn't share these wonderful Russian values? Um, that's, I think that's because it's all this uh, talk about imaginary things, because no one can really imagine what will be, what the nuclear war will be. And of course, they just try to, uh, to make themselves more confident about that. But I believe that some decisions can be made on these uh, wrong, wrong grounds, unfortunately. In the last few days, we've heard more threats from Mr. Putin, more unrest across Russia itself. Some commentaries have suggested that amid all this chaos, Putin's power is beginning to drain away. Do you buy that scenario? Um, I think that these uh, events and the mobilization uh, arranged by Putin is another symptom of his... Uh, yeah, of his of his decay, of decay of his regime, because it's the last resort. Well, apart from the nuclear weapon, uh, nuclear blackmail that he may he may use. So I think and we we see this uh, unrest in the in the in the regions, different regions, and so I I can't exclude that those uh, unrest and some turmoil will be uh, will be will be rising in the coming days. How, how long can you make as many mistakes and chalk up as many failures as he has and remain in power these days in Russia? Mm, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think the fate of Putin's regime is strongly dependent on the outcome of the war, or, or on the course of the war. We've already seen that this Kharkov offensive, very successful for Ukrainian, did uh, make uh, a blow on the reputation of the Russian army, the Russian government, even within the supporters of Putin. So if uh, he, he will continue, and I hope he will continue getting uh, defeats from the Ukrainian army, that will, uh, will derail his reputation, his charisma, and the pillars of his regime. I guess my question is more about the, the hardline political and security elites in Moscow. They're not exactly known for having a forgiving nature. How much of this, how much more of this will they put up with, do you think? I mean, we've got a long list of failures. We had the failure to take Kiev, the failure to uh, arrest Zelensky, the failure to hold on to territory that they'd captured, high casualties, hardware that doesn't work, poor morale... Um, he has to. Putin has to be running out of political capital at home, doesn't he? Well, well, he has. Well, he has. We cannot judge because we don't have any information. It's a very closed uh, thing. But uh, uh, there is no doubt that the Russian elites are split now, and a lot of them want to to change something or to jump off. But I think the. the for now, the most powerful figures around him, uh, which can command, uh, you know, armed forces, special services, they're still uh, sticking to him for some reasons. Maybe they still believe that Putin can resolve the situation, like Hitler's generals. Some of them were, were very loyal to him until the very end, for instance. So, or they just can cannot uh, have enough imagination to think about the future without Putin and themselves without power. So it's very difficult to predict, but it's, it's natural that there will be more splits 
and we will, I think, we will see something, maybe by 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 New Year. If you strip away all the the lies, the accusations, the propaganda, do you, in your own mind, have a clear idea why Putin started this war? Yeah, he started this war because he wants to stay in power. He wants to secure his uh, throne for lifetime. And since he cannot sell to his electorate, to his population, any economic successes, because the economy is shrinking, it is going down since 2014, the, and the uh, daily life of most uh, people in Russia has been deteriorating steadily, he can only sell some military successes. That's why he wanted to conquer Ukraine, because it it would have given him this aura of uh, like of a great Russian ruler who uh, defends Russian interests and so on. It then could work for some years, like it worked with Crimea. He just wanted to repeat this Crimean exercise. So this idea that he felt threatened by NATO and he thought NATO countries were trying to encircle Russia, although how you encircle a country that has 11 time zones and is 10% or 11% of the world's landmass, it's difficult to imagine. But all that's nonsense. All that was nonsense, was it? Uh, that may be uh, a second thing he, he was thinking about, but I think he, the interest of securing his personal power is the most important for him. Also, this NATO, it's, it's not about NATO, it's about possible Western interference into domestic affairs in, in order to instigate protest. Because Putin and his accomplices, they are sure that all protests within the country cannot just be created by the people because they are dissatisfied. It's only, uh, uh, it's, it is only uh, orchestrated by the West. So it's, it's another thing. But the first reason is just to, to, um, to cement his, his grip to power. Does he want a fight with NATO? I hope not. But, you know, he, he put himself in the situation where he has no good exits. And I think this blackmail and threats is the only instrument he may use to try to get himself out of it. Considering how you've denounced the war and the lies of the Russian government, how worried are you about your own safety? Um, I, I don't really think about this very much. I believe that now we are living in such a dangerous time that we all must think about the safety of humankind more than our individual safety. So that's... That's my, that's my answer, because I, 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 no, I, I don't think much about that. A whole spate of key figures, businessmen, people in society who may or may not have opposed the war have landed up dead recently. Many seem to have had unexpected accidents or jumped out of upstairs windows. Not a coincidence, is it? There's I a think... killing operation underway, isn't there, in Russia? Yeah, it's a very suspicious coincidence, yes. But I, I have no information about that. I think all these cases should be investigated, of course, but once Putin is gone. Let me come back to the issue of nuclear weapons, because several Western officials, among them America's national security advisors, say they've spelt out to the Kremlin the exact catastrophic consequences of going nuclear. Do you think in any way that will deter Putin? You're in well, the arms yeah. control business. Will yeah, it deter yeah, him? Yeah. 
It's uh, well, deterrence usually works when uh, both sides or all parties to this um, negotiation or to, to this uh, uh, conversation, both parties are reasonable and they don't want to die. And of course, they just want to uh, to keep your enemy or adversary at a distance. In this case, Putin, well, is simulating quite successfully that he is not quite reasonable, or maybe he is really unreasonable. We don't know. So I, we can't exclude that he may command to, to, to start the nuclear strikes. We don't know. So in, in this case, if we deal with a, a man who considers it, it, that it is okay to start a nuclear war, then deterrence may not work. If Russia really intends to use a nuclear weapon, what would be the signs to look out for? Do you get any of these signs now? Do you see any of them? Signs that Moscow is readying its nuclear arsenal for use? Well, I'm not the military expert to know such technical details, which could show us that Moscow is really readying its troops for nuclear strikes. So I believe that the uh, intelligence gathered by the Western countries is much more reliable in this uh, regard. And they say for now that they uh, detect no such signs. But um, I just read that in Kherson Oblast, uh, temporarily occupied by Russians, some troops were uh, distributed some, uh, you know, radiation, uh, radiation uh, pills or something as if they were being readied for nuclear strike. I don't know, maybe it's just a propagandist uh, stunt or something. So, I don't know, the, the rhetoric of Russian leadership is still very aggressive, and the nuclear blackmail has been in place since uh, February 24. So, uh, if we judge by rhetoric, we can say that they were ready to nuclear strikes since the, this, the beginning of the war, but uh, it's not so, evidently. So whether they will be ready to start the nuclear conflict, that's a, that's a big question. That's a big question. It appears that some of the fail-safe mechanisms designed to prevent a nuclear war have in part been eroded. I'm talking about direct communications between senior Russian and American military leaders. These appear to have stopped. How dangerous is that? It is, it is very dangerous, of course, because those uh, channel, those communication channels have been very useful since the Caribbean crisis. And it, it, of course, it allowed to the key military commanders to, to talk directly with each other, thus decreasing the possibility of uh, erupting the, the war. But of course, in this current situation, when both sides are, are not, do not trust each other, so to speak, these channels may not just be working. And, um... So under those circumstances, how easy would it be for one side to misread the signals of the other and launch a war on a false understanding of the facts? It is very probable. It is very probable. Because Russian side, I'm, I'm sure, is very, very um, nervous about any possible signs of, I don't know, attack or any other interference from the Western countries, first of all, the United States, into the Ukrainian war. So they can, I don't know what, what, what the red lines are, but of course they are some red lines. So they can be very, 
well, as we, as we already seen, the Russian leadership has been very inadequate since the invasion. So it's very hard to say how they perceive the information they get from the front lines, from the NATO countries. So they can decide something, something very unimaginable without real, real uh, reasons for that. So the, the risk of miscalculation, misinterpretation, misunderstanding is very high. So what you're saying is that this could all get out of hand very quickly? Um, I would say that it can get out of hand, but also there are scenarios that it won't. I think it is up to the NATO countries to NATO diplomats, so I don't know, some, someone from them to, to start or maybe maintain contacts with those people in Russian elite around Putin and maybe in second or third echelon of Russian power to to present them that Putin is the only obstacle against the normalization of, of relations against this. So Putin must be gone with his close, uh, close uh, accomplices. And then the situation may be like reversed. That I think that may uh, may push those people to to rally against Putin within the within the government. So it's vital to try and keep as many communications open as possible, communication channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Maybe not with Putin himself. Maybe it, he should be isolated from his uh, supporters. That that the work to split the Russian elite. It's very important. Boris Pandaryov, thank you very much for being on Conflict Zone. It's good to see you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.